let me ask you a question this morning. What makes the perfect Christmas for you? Now just think about it for a moment. What makes the perfect Christmas for you? For me, I was thinking the other day, Becky, the perfect Christmas would be sunshine, pair of shorts, polo shirt. For some of you, it's snow. I not get that. Not really, but I just say I do so you'll feel better. You know, I, I get that, that some of you, you love snow. But what makes the perfect Christmas? For some of us, it may be nostalgia, sitting by the fireplace with a cup of hot chocolate in your favorite chair with your favorite child. Well, not necessarily your favorite child, but maybe your favorite chair. <laughs> it's just the perfect Christmas. For some, it's music. I've been asking people, what's the best Christmas music? Some have told me Michael Bolton. Some have told me Mariah Carey. Some have told me Chris Christopherson. There are a few country music fans in this church, thank God. For some people, it's the decorations and the lights and just getting all giddied up for Christmas. You just can't hardly wait. I think for everybody, there's this kind of this different feeling. I, when we do premarital counseling here at Woodland, we take couples through their expectations for holidays because a lot of times there's conflicts in those holidays. Sometimes you come to Christmas and it's just not what you planned. Matter of fact, for some of you, including Carlene, this Christmas is not turning out the way that you'd planned. And I think for most of us, we can say there have been some real times in our life where things just haven't turned out like we planned. I'm going to put on my youth pastor hat this morning and I pray that you don't fail to pay attention because I want to talk to you like I used to talk to our students back in the days when we still rode dinosaurs and I was a youth pastor. There was a study done that was talked about on This American Life, which is a great radio show on NPR. And the study was done about asking people, did life turn out according to your plans. And we believe in planning at Woodland. Matter of fact, we've offered classes on life planning. I preached on planning and how important it is to plan. One of my favorite sayings is what Andy Sherwood shared with us here at Woodland when he said, you can't expect what you don't inspect. And so you just make plans. I, I believe in that. But Becky and I have discovered Life didn't always turn out according to that five-page life plan we wrote on a yellow legal pad with an orange pen because we couldn't find any other pen. But we wrote it all out. And in this American life, they ask a great big audience, how many of you life has turned out the way you planned? And only one person lifted their hand in the entire audience, and she was 23 years old. You know, I don't say that to discourage you, but I think you would agree with me. Life doesn't always go as you plan. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning as we begin our Christmas season. I'm going to entitle this series, Christmas Light. And today I want to talk to you when things don't go as you plan. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21 says, you can make many plans. I just want to share with you because I love you and you drove all this way to church this morning. Some of you may be out of town visiting with family for holidays and maybe you drove 500 miles to hear this today. You can plan, but life probably won't go just like you planned. You know? I mean, it's our responsibility to the plan. You know, some of us are great plan I love to plan. I like planning. I love that old TV show, A-Team. We're there at the end. What was the saying? If you're from my generation, I love it when a... 
Yeah, some of you have been watching Nick at night. You're too young to remember that. Love it when a plan comes together. Some of you, you've already got Christmas presents bought, wrapped, the menu's ready. You started buying gifts back in the summer. Let me see your hands. Those of you, you've already got them all. Can I say, you're why we have to deal with Christmas all during the year after Labor Day. You make life miserable for the rest of us. Some of you, you just went, oh my goodness, it's almost Christmas. You've missed the whole deal. You can make many plans, the Bible says. But I can promise you, when you plan your Christmas party, somebody's going to forget to bake the cookies. Somebody's going to forget to wrap the presents. Your husband is going to forget the honeydew list that he was supposed to do. And he will spend the rest of the year doing penance to you because he forgot something he gave you his word he would do. But you can't expect what you don't inspect. Somebody say amen and get me out of this hole right now. You see, life doesn't always go as you plan. So this morning, I want to go back and I want to talk to you about that very first Christmas. So stand with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there's some really cool things about getting this old. There's some really cool things about looking in the rearview mirror and being able to see, God, you had it all under control. There's some really cool things, Lord, that Becky and I couldn't see when we were younger. We can see all the mileposts behind us, and we can sing, great is thy faithfulness. That when we were in a cloud or a fog or confused or things didn't work out the way we thought they were supposed to work out, God, you had us right in the middle of your wonderful hands all along. I don't know how you do it, but I just want to bear witness this morning that when things don't go as you plan, you're still in control. So, Father, it's not really important about our experience as much as it is what your word has to say. So, I ask you in Jesus' name, would you help us as we take a fresh look with young eyes but experienced hearts at the story of Mary and Joseph? In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. In just a few minutes, I'll read you the passage of Scripture, and we'll stand again out of respect for God's Word. But before I start with the story as I told it to our youth ministry and our youth group, I just want to remind you that all of the Scriptures I'm going to read you is summing up a lot of months, a lot of life into one page. Becky sent me our family Christmas letter this week to preview and to read and to look over before she mailed it out. And um, I looked at that letter and I thought about the message this morning and I just kind of read between the lines of all the different things she highlights. And I'd never look at our Christmas cards until after our Christmas Eve service and our tradition as I go home, we go home and Becky has some snacks for us and we sit around and exchange family gifts and I read all the Christmas cards that night before I go to bed. I read all the Christmas letters. We talk. A lot of you that write the letters, we just laugh because some of those things we've lived with you through or we've wept with you through. And and so it's just one of those great kind of moments of just bringing it all together from our Christmas Eve service when I go home and do that. But I realize that you do the same thing that Becky did and what God has done in His Word. You have just collapsed a year of life onto one page. And for those of us that know you, we're able to kind of read between the lines and see what's going on. I just want you to imagine with me this morning, students, that there is this really cute young girl. Her name is Mary. And she decides one night she is going to synagogue for youth service. Maybe it's called Elevation, like our youth ministry is here. And when she gets to elevation, things are just a little different than she expected. That night, instead of the rabbi standing up to talk to the youth ministry, there was this cute, young, single guy named Joy. 
And joy is teaching the Bible study, and joy is leading it. And like I used to do as a youth pastor, after the Bible study, we gather around these little tables, and we talk about the Bible study. We have discussions and dialogue. And, and Mary has had real problems paying attention to joy because he is a good-looking guy, you know. And he's teaching. She's trying to pay attention to the Word of God, but he's so good-looking that she's just kind of taken with him. Well, would you believe it? Joy comes, sits down at the table where Mary is sitting, and they start having conversation as they're studying the Bible together like all good Christian young people ought to do. They're studying the Word of God together, and she finds out Joy's got a job. He's not unemployed. As a matter of fact, he's a furniture maker. He builds furniture. Unlike a lot of these other guys that she knows that don't have a job and they don't work or anything, this guy is responsible. And did I say he was good looking as well? And then Joy, during the week, he's building furniture, delivering furniture to customers, and he can't get his mind off of this babe that he met at church, I mean at synagogue. Her name was Mary, and finally he just decides, when I go back to synagogue, I'm going to ask Mary out. And so Joy goes up to Mary, and he he says, hey, Mary, would you like to have a cup of coffee with me at the New Jerusalem Starbucks? And so they go and they have a cup of coffee together and they find out they have so much in common and they begin to see one another with their parents' blessings and then they decide, wow, we should spend our lives together. We should become husband and wife. And so they, they go to their mom and dad. They get blessings from Mary's parents, from Joy's parents. They bless this wedding. They bless this, this engagement. Now, engagements were different back then, students, because when you had an engagement, it was about a year long, and it was a legal contract. You just couldn't decide you're going to break up and throw your diamond in the Detroit River. You're going to be married to this person. And so, to, to break up an engagement, you had to go through, like some people unfortunately do, you have to go through a divorce. Well, Joseph and Mary were making plans. They were thinking about children. They're going to have a boy. They're going to have a girl. Joy is going to build them a nice little house with a picket fence and hang the Georgia Bulldogs on the front of the house so everybody that comes to this house knows that it is a blessed home indeed. And so they're making their life plans. One day, Mary takes her journal, and she takes her copy of the Scriptures, and she goes off by herself to pray and to thank the Lord for bringing joy into her life. And as she's worshiping God, suddenly, suddenly the glory of the Lord appears around her. It's just like you read about in the Old Testament when the glory of God was manifested at the temple, when the glory of God was manifested in her life, this angel appeared to her and says, Mary, you are more favored than any other woman. You're going to have a baby. And this baby's name is going to be Jesus. And Mary looks at the angel. She's stunned and she goes, but how? I'm not married yet. How is this going to happen? The angel explains everything to her. And as he does, Mary does something remarkable. Her whole life is about to change. Her life plans are about to change. And she says to God, be it unto me according to your word. I mean, isn't that what we all want? Don't we all want to live according to the will of God? Don't we all hope that God is just going to show up in our lives and make everything so clear to us? And she leaves that holy encounter and she just knows her beloved is going to be so excited. God has appeared. God has chosen them to raise His Son. And don't you think Joy is going to be excited? Don't you think he's going to be happy? No way. His reaction was, where is he? I'm going to knock his block off. Because he did not believe for one moment what Mary had said to him. I want you to stand with me again, and we're going to read the word of the Lord. It's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David, and Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. In other words, holy separate. The baby will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Let's read that together. For the word of God will never fail. In other words, nothing's impossible with God. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with Him. The Word of God will never fail. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before, those are two important words. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin... She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. I've already told you Joseph's response. He was angry. He was hurt. Joseph, to whom she was engaged in a righteous man in Matthew 1.19, and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. God bless you. You can be seated. Becky and I have talked about this story many, many times. We've talked to our children about it when we're driving home for Christmas and our family devotions. It's kind of hard for me to put myself in the feet of Mary, in the shoes of Mary. I have read so much and I can talk to you about it, but I think for us guys, it's probably a little easier for us to put our shoes and our feet in the shoes of Joseph. I mean, from a man's perspective and We often get a woman's perspective because of the beauty of Mary's story. But from a man's perspective, guys, think with me for just a moment. Joseph's crushed. He's humiliated. He's got to go tell his parents. He's got to go tell his friends that the engagement is off. I mean, he's a righteous man, so he doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't blow his temper. But you see, he he has to do this. He doesn't have a choice as a man. He doesn't have a choice. He has to put her away, but he wants to do it quietly because if he marries Mary, it's an admission that he and Mary have had sex together and that before they've come together as husband and wife, Mary's pregnant. And and that because of that, the child will not be holy. They'll be banished from the temple. Joseph won't be able to hold a job. They'll be banished from the community. And, And so Joseph knows that if this is exposed, Mary could be put to death. I mean, that's a real reality. Mary could be put to death, and he loves her. You've got to understand that. Joseph really loves Mary. And I'm sure as he's thinking about this, he remembers the night he decided to invite her to the New Jerusalem Starbucks. He put on a couple of extra squirts of cologne so he'd smell good. And maybe the smell of the workshop wouldn't be so hard on him because they didn't have the showers that you and I have today back then. I imagine that he remembers their talking and their dreaming and planning. And now all of a sudden, everything, all of those plans, all of those dreams, those happy dreams and those happy plans that their parents have been sharing with them, that his buddies have been sharing with him, suddenly all these things are gone because in his mind, she has cheated on him. And if you'll let me try for just a moment to get inside of Mary's heart, Mary's got to be wondering It was God that appeared to her. We know that. And she said to him, God, be it unto me according to your will. And now her heart is crushed and her heart is broken. God's good news, the gospel, God's good news to Mary has turned out to crush and to break her heart. And she has to deal with the shame, the pain, the humiliation that Joseph is divorcing her. I'm sure she was thinking, this is not what I had planned. And I'm sure that some of you this morning, you're thinking to yourself, cancer was not what I had planned. Migraine headaches were not what I had planned. My husband, my wife leaving me wasn't what I had planned. And for some among us, for several among us, this is the first Christmas that you're going to spend without someone that you loved very dearly. 
And this Christmas is not what you had planned. And here's the good news I want to share with you this morning. You don't have to understand God's plan to know that God has a purpose for you. You don't have to understand God's plan. Put that up on the screen, please. To know that God has a purpose for you. I know you want to understand God's plan, but you don't always know God's plan. There have been so many times when Becky and I have been blindsided by life events. There have been so many times where Becky and I have been blindsided by things that have happened to others. There have been times when we've looked at each other and said, we're, we're in the middle of a deep, deep fog we can't see. You know the kind of fogs we get here in Downriver where you can barely see the front end of your car when you pull out of your driveway and you turn your flashers on just so hopefully somebody else will know that you're in the road or you're in the lane. There have been those times I'm sure that you've been there. But the rest of the verse that I read to you just a few minutes ago that you can make many plans, the rest of verse 21 says, the Lord's purpose will prevail. And there's where Becky and I have driven a nail into the wall. There's where we have driven a stake into the ground. There is where we have planted our lives. That when we don't understand what's going on, and when our life plans have not worked out the way we thought they would when we wrote them so many years ago, this one thing we know and we have confidence in, the purposes and the plans of God for us and for you and for this world, they're going to prevail this morning. Well, give the Lord a hand of praise today. His plans are good. We have many plans. We're supposed to plan. It's God's will that we plan. But when things don't go as they plan, we know God's will still is important. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, as Joseph considered divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Read this with me, please. For he will save his people from their sins. Read it again, please. For he will save his people from their sins. And suddenly, because Joseph had grown up in Timber Ridge at the synagogue, and he had learned the Scriptures as a boy, he was in junior Bible quiz, and he had memorized the Scriptures. Suddenly, all of those passages from Isaiah, all of those passages from the Psalms, those prophecies that many experts tell us, experts and aren't even Christians, who say that these prophecies had such an infinitesimal chance of happening because there are so many of them that were fooled exactly by Jesus. You can't get all the zeros on that screen behind a one in chance that they were supposed to happen. Suddenly they came rushing back into him and Joseph thought God's hand is in this. God's got a part in this. And beloved, when life hasn't gone the way that Becky and I have anticipated, one thing we have hung our lives upon is that God's invisible hand is always guiding and providing. And if we can stand the pulling, God is going to pull us through. That's the word of the Lord. Well, boy, that changes everything, guys. Now God has spoken to Joseph, and well, they get back together with a plan. I mean, surely once God tells you He's got a plan in this, He's got a hand in this, how many of you know that whenever God says He's got a plan, everything is going to be peachy keen right after that? Well, they decide they're going to go ahead and build a house anyway with a little picket fence. They decide Joseph is going to buy that big Georgia bulldog to hang on the front door. They decide life is going to be so cool. And then Mary discovers something about Joy that she did not know. Joy's not a very good planner after all. I mean, nine months she's pregnant and he forgot to tell her, Oh, Mary, we have to leave Nazareth and go down to Bethlehem to pay our taxes. So, sweetheart, you got to ride on the back of this here donkey. How many of you ladies nine months pregnant, you dream about getting a ride on a donkey? (laughs) Yeah. And she also discovers he's not a very good anticipator because they get to Bethlehem and she goes, Joe, where are we staying at tonight? And Joey looks at her and says, oh, sweetheart, I forgot to make a reservation at the Holiday Inn. And they get there, there's no place to stay. And so Mary ends up having the baby 
in a stable. How many of you girls would like to have your baby smelling cow poop? No? Well, that's where Jesus was born. You see, life doesn't always go as you plan. And do you want to know what else? When Jesus was born, news got back to Herod, and Herod was so angry about this, he was seeking to kill Jesus. And so the angel had to speak to Joseph again. He says, take Mary and take the child and go to Egypt. Nobody wanted to go to Egypt There was a Jew. I mean, it was from that place they had been rescued from. It was that place they had been saved from. And now they've got to make this treacherous journey across the desert, across the Nile River with all the crocodiles, and they've got to go into this pagan land called Egypt. Again, fulfilling prophecy. You see, even when God shows you His hand is in this and He's got a plan, friends, things don't always work out the way you think they're going to work out. And then I want you to imagine for just a few moments and fast forward 33 years with me. Mary is at the foot of the cross and she is looking up at that cross for this son that she loved and she raised. This son that went about doing good. This son that went about teaching, healing, saving people. She's watching him bleed and die and suffer on that cross. And she begins to think, Lord, this is not fair. Jesus never did anything wrong. Jesus never hurt anyone. He loved you, Jesus. He, he loved you, Father. He honored you. It said of him, he went about doing good. The miracles, this is not fair, God. What are you doing? And when he cries out with that last breath, students, it is finished. And he died upon that cross. Mary must have collapsed with all the memories of joy and the baby Jesus and all that they'd been through, how he'd been welcomed into the city, and now here he is dying like a common thief after suffering on the cross. She's got to be thinking, God is not faithful and God is not good. No mother should ever have to see what Jesus saw. No mother should ever have to hear, students, what Jesus said. And that was as they were nailing him to the cross for your sins, guys, for my sins. Jesus looked up at heaven as his Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You see, family, I don't want us to forget this morning. I don't want us to glorify. I don't want us to magnify this picture and make it into something that it's not. Because growing up, my mama always hung our Christmas cards on the front door so that as we were going out of the house, we could see all the people that had sent us Christmas greetings. And there were so many beautiful scenes of Mary and Joseph and their love and the baby but I want you to remember, these are real people just like you and me. This is a real couple. This is human flesh and blood. And they hurt and they suffered because life doesn't always go like you planned. But students, I want you to think and imagine with me, what if Mary and Joseph had said no to God's plan? What if Mary had said no way? What if joy had says, no way? I want you to imagine with me the implications of saying, my will be done and not thy will be done. It is those words that Mary prayed when the angel spoke to her that later Jesus would pray in the garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, Father, but thy will be done. You say, why? Because the reason for the season is you and me. That's the reason for the season. I will say the reason for the season is Jesus this year, but don't you ever forget John 3, 16, guys. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You're the reason for the season. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, let me come back to being a pastor. Being a youth pastor is so much more fun. You see, some of the things that some of you are going through this morning, they're not the things you plan. They're not the things that you hope for. They're not the things you dream for. Some of you, I know that you must be confused. You're angry. You're hurt. 
I know because we've had these conversations together. You don't have to understand God's plan to understand God has a purpose. And I don't know why God doesn't show us all of His plan in minute detail when He gives us His plan, when He calls us to do something. There are so many things in our lives, mine and Becky's lives. There are so many things in our congregation's life that I just haven't understood over the years, but I have learned what I shared with you for just a moment that I shared with my students, and that is that God's plan is always good. If you can stand the pulling, God will pull you through. It's not just a cute little saying from the Scripture, but the Bible means what it says, that God works in everything for His good, uh, for our good and for His glory. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that as well? I mean, it's just true. So here are several things I'd like you to do if things aren't going as you plan. Number one, I want you to learn how to grieve. I want you to learn to grieve. The Bible tells us that we should grieve. The Bible tells us that we should mourn. There are times in the book of Psalms especially where we're taught how to mourn. We're taught how to weep. We're taught how to cast our cares upon the Lord. In our midweek Bible study here at church, we're going through the book of 1 Peter and Peter is going to teach the congregation how to grieve and how to deal with the implications of some of the things that are happening to them as they await the second advent, the second coming of our Lord. God says in Psalm 62 and verse 8, O my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. God understands your pain. God understands your grief. God understands your confusion. There is nothing you're going to tell God that He cannot handle. When I worked in mental health, one of the things in my orientation that they told me was, don't ever let anybody see surprise on your face. Don't ever let anybody see shock on your face because they're going to tell you things that you've never heard before. And I remember the first few times I heard something, I couldn't help but register the shock. I couldn't help but register the shock when I worked with a girl and eventually led her to Christ that her mother had been pimping her off since she was two years old and she had been sold into sexual slavery. I will never forget the time where I had a young man tell me how he was raped by a neighbor and what that had meant to it. The shock on my face and I would be called in and says, the patient is concerned and upset because your fear and your anger, your disgust and I wasn't disgusted with them. It was the shock of what happened and I, I had to learn how to suppress those feelings and things that go on. But I also had to learn after seeking prayer from one of my, my professors at Southeastern, seeking prayer from him how to cast my cares upon God. Friends, it is not a lack of faith. It is an expression of faith for us to grieve in the name of Jesus Christ. And people that tell us to repress our grief or to hide our grief or to act like everything's okay, they're lying to us. But you don't want to stay stuck in your grief. You want to grieve. You want to mourn. Not like the world, but we mourn as people with a hope one day soon and very soon all of us are going to be in heaven with Fred and all of those who've gone before us. It's okay to mourn right now. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice because we have a future and a hope. Somebody say amen this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, secondly... Let others help you because you're tempted when life doesn't go as you planned. You're tempted to cocoon. You're tempted to pull away and be by yourself. You're tempted to just suffer alone. And there's a part of us, we're like the turtle. We want to pull in our shell to our shell when we feel threatened. We want to pull our legs in. We pull our feet in because it's so warm in the shell. It's so comfortable in the shell. It's just me and my shadow in the shell. And I don't have to worry about anybody else. But God didn't mean for you to cocoon in a shell. God has a life for you. God has a plan for you. And there are implications for you and for those like the Boy Scout that Fred talked to that you're going to share with that can change the trajectory of their life that you're not going to find by hiding let us help you. Let us walk with you. Let us grieve with you. Let us rejoice with you. But understand, you need the body of Christ. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, read this out loud with me, share each other's burden and in this way obey the law of Christ. You see, a lot of people think, well, if I don't drink, smoke, and chew and go with girls who do, then I've obeyed the law of Christ. 
I can't find anything in the Bible about smoking, drinking, and chewing, but I can find a lot in the Bible about sharing one another's burdens that we're called to lift up one another, to encourage one another, to hold up one another. And God says, this is how we fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? That we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love one another as ourselves. Could you say amen to that? So when life doesn't go as you plan, don't cocoon. Open up. Let others help you and you be willing to help them through. Thirdly, stay sweet in your spirit because it is so tempting to get bitter in your spirit. It's so tempting to be angry at God. It's so tempting to be angry at the church or at your neighbor or your wife. Everybody's always trying to point a finger. In the first service, we had a small little glitch, but it was a loud glitch. It came as a shock, and I started laughing because all of a sudden, fingers were pointing just like that. At that point, it wasn't important whose fault it was. What was important? Let's get rid of that noise so we can keep on worshiping the Lord. You see, you stay sweet in your spirit, and you give room for God to work in your life. You stay faithful in your spirit, and you give room for miracles to happen in your life. But if you get bitter and you become a whiny hiney instead of becoming a better man or a woman, then all of a sudden it's like the flow of the Spirit of God stops. And the Bible says that a bitter, listen now, don't miss this, a bitter spirit will even dry up our bones. In other words, we become brittle, we become fragile, rather than staying strong is who God has called us to be. Listen to the word of the Lord this morning from Isaiah 41. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. When Becky and I discovered that we couldn't have children, the grief that was taking place during that time, I remember when somebody called us, called me, I happened to be at home, and we had one of those phones on the wall that had like a 120-foot cord. You know what I'm talking about? Do any of you remember that? If you did, yeah, if you didn't want anybody to hear, you could just walk three rooms down the hall, you know, and just close the door. And So when I answered the phone, I heard the person, and I really didn't want to talk to them. But they said, Pastor Dennis, I've got a verse of Scripture I want to share with you. They read these words to me over the phone, don't be afraid. For I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. You see, when we shared with people, we weren't cocooning. All of a sudden, what we started getting was advice. Hurting people don't need your advice, they need your support. Becky would get all kinds of weird counsel. I had this big man. He was a good man. He loved Jesus. He loved God. I loved him. He's a good man. But right in front of a bunch of men, one time we were having a fish fry. He came over to me and said, Pastor Dennis, what kind of underwear do you wear? I knew what was coming. I said, BVDs. That's the problem. You need boxer shorts. That's not the way God designed you. All the men that knew my pain were kind of turning away. I was so angry. I was humiliated. I was embarrassed. He meant well. It's not that he didn't mean well. And you probably have some real good advice. But save it right now. Save it right now. Learn to wait upon the Holy Spirit. Learn to master your mouth. Learn to tame your stinking tongue. Because what hurting people need is not advice. They need your love. They need your prayer. They need your support. And you know what? If you'll do that, they'll probably come to you and ask for your advice. They'll probably come to you and say, can you help me? Can you show me what to do? You see, that's the real comforters among us who hide in a prayer closet 
and call our names out to Jesus and say, Lord, comfort, strengthen, uphold them with your mighty right hand. Let them see you're going to pull them through. And then finally this morning, trust God's plan. God really is in control. God really is in control. I love this next passage. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Would you read this out loud with me? And where it says you, would you put your name this morning? I'm going to read it as Dennis. You put your name this morning. For I know the plans I have for Dennis, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give Dennis a future and a hope. Don't you feel better after reading it that way? And I can, it's one of the cool things about getting older in life. I can testify to you that when things have not gone as Becky and I have planned, God's plan has always been good. And we've learned, great is thy faithfulness. Oh, Lord God, my Father, morning by morning, new mercies I see because God's plan and His future has been nothing but good and glorious. Can we give Him a hand of praise this morning? My son called me yesterday. They were on their way to buy a Christmas tree. And while they were talking, I was talking with Dana and the boys and him. And suddenly Davin speaks up from the back and he says, Mama, I'm hungry. How many of you know five-year-olds are just one long straight stomach, you know? And she says, okay, we're going to eat in a little while. He goes, Chick-fil-A. She goes, we're not eating at Chick-fil-A today. He goes, but I'm hungry. Andrew says, Davin, eat those carrots that mom gave you. He goes, no, Dado, I'm hungry. I loved her. I live for these moments. Remember those days? He goes, if you're hungry, you'll eat the carrots. Davin, in his infinite wisdom, says, Dado, Carrots aren't food. Andrew says, yes, they are. He goes, no, they're vegetables. And vegetables are not food, Dado. I am cracking up. I'm saying, I love this. Andrew goes, you're having too much fun, Dad. So Dana says, Davin, what's food? Chick-fil-A. What a wise young man. In that moment, I gave God thanks one more time. Life didn't work out the way Becky and I planned. And I'd sit down beside that 23-year-old young woman. And I'd say, don't let the fact that all these other hands have not been raised discourage you about your life plan. That's what you're supposed to do. God calls us to plan. God calls us to prepare. But then I would follow it up and I'd say to her, sweetheart, understand this. There is a God that loves you more than you know. And when like Joy and Mary, you're confused, maybe you're angry sometime. Maybe you're hurt. If you can stand the pulling, God's going to pull you through. David must have experienced this. In Psalms 46, verse 2, so we will not fear when the earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. You've got to be kidding me. That's why I don't want to live in California. I know it's coming. <laughs> Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Life certainly didn't work out the way David thought it would. Isaiah 55 and verse 8, these words that I believe must have come back to Joseph's mind. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
So there are three things, three questions I want you to ask yourself this year. But before you ask these questions, look at me. Look at me right here and listen very carefully. I love you. I love you more than you'll ever know. So I want you to really listen here. Plan. But don't make your plans God's purpose for your life. If life changes, understand this. It changed for Abraham and Sarah. And when they tried to outplan God, we're still dealing with the conflict of that. Things didn't go as Joseph planned, and Joseph loved God. I could go on and on with stories of people in the Bible. It didn't turn out the way they planned. But when they trusted God's purposes for their life, they prospered, they thrived, and God made them more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So stand with me this morning before we pray, and here are three questions that I want you to consider. Number one, what does God want to do to you this Christmas season? There's a little typo there. What does God want to do to you this Christmas? Spend some time on this Sabbath day and pray about that question. Then the second question I'd like you to consider is what does God want to do for you this Christmas season? I'm a father. I'm a husband. I love to give gifts. I can't wait to give Becky her gift. I, I can't wait to give my children and my, their grandchildren, our grandchildren their gifts. Your heavenly Father Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom of heaven, to give you the Holy Spirit, to give you. It's the nature of God to give. Why did Jesus heal? Because it's the nature of God to heal. Why did Jesus deliver? Because it's the nature of God to deliver. Why did Jesus open the blind eyes? Because it's the nature of God for you to be able to see. God doesn't make people sick. God doesn't strike people with blindness unless they've sinned against Him. God's nature is to give. So open your heart and expect a miracle from God. And then finally, what does God want to do through you this Christmas? Who can you serve this Christmas? Who can you love? Who can you bless? Who's in your sphere that you can come alongside and you can be Jesus to them? Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, it's not because of our experience that I'm asking people to listen, but it's because of your word. I have not always understood the paths that you have taken Becky and I, or that you've even taken this church. And sometimes, Lord, quite honestly, I confess, I've struggled. I've grown discouraged, sometimes angry, sometimes disappointed. But you've always had those people around to encourage, to lift us up. You've always blessed me with a wife who prays and intercedes in her prayer closet. And it really is cool getting this age, Lord, to be able to say to everyone in here, God is faithful. And so I thank you that your purposes prevail in my life. I thank you that with confidence that comes, Lord, not just from having lived life, but from having studied your word and having waited on you, Lord, to be able to speak to this congregation, I can testify to them your purpose will prevail in their lives if they yield themselves to you. Lord, even in the pagan world, when they roar and shake their fist in rage, one day King Jesus is coming back. And Lord, wars will cease. God, there will be peace on earth at last. So while we stand in His presence, if you've never committed your life to Christ, or if you've grown discouraged and you've wandered from your commitment to Christ,
Or maybe, let's just be honest, you have just gone lukewarm. I'm asking you right now, would you recommit your life to Christ along with these that I'm going to ask to pray with me to give their life to Christ? If you want to do that with me, just pray this quietly. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you not only for your heavenly Father, but thank you for Mary and Joseph who both agreed thy will be done in us. Thank you for coming to save me from my sins this morning because it's your nature to give. It's also your nature to forgive. So I ask you, forgive me of all of my sins. Cleanse me from my transgressions and come into my heart and life today. Make me a brand new person. I don't understand it all, but as much as I do, I give my heart and my life to you. And think about the consequences now of what you're going to say. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Let's give him a hand of praise this morning. Well, may the Lord bless you. May you have a joyous Christmas season. May you contemplate the wonders of what it meant for you, for Mary and Joseph, to say yes to God's plan. And may you have the courage and the convictions of your faith to go out of this place today and say yes to God's purposes, no matter what it does to your plans. And may you prosper and be productive in all you do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. Hallelujah.